You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. We're beginning John chapter 7 today in the Gospel of John. And what we've been seeing is that Jesus is speaking and yet hardly anyone is listening. It's kind of like being a parent, isn't it? For Jesus, some people ignored him. Some people just came to criticize him. They're waiting for him to say something they disagree with so they can just pounce on him and discredit him. Some people just simply want to interrogate him. They've got a list of questions for him and they want to control the the narrative. Why do I tell you this? Because faith comes by hearing. And if you're not listening, you're not growing. We're talking about going through the gospel of John this year with the goal of hearing from Jesus so that we all get to listen to him. And then as we're doing that, we're studying God's word. And it's heartbreaking that God comes and no one is listening. It just goes to show that some things never change. Today, the world is filled with people who are speaking and who's listening. Uh, Honestly, it seems like no one is. We live in an age where because of technology, there is more communication and more information than any time in the history of the world. And it doesn't seem like anyone is really listening to each other. Here's an interesting observation. Have you ever notice that you can get a degree in speech, but you can't get a degree in listening. (laughs) Speech, communication, oh, absolutely. No one is offering a degree in listening. And yet, God wants to speak to you today. And what we're talking about here is not just hearing a word about God, it's a word from God. This is where we invite God in through prayer saying, okay, God, what is it you have to say to me today? And we'll start with those who are tragically not listening in John chapter 7. And here we learn that Jesus comes with controversy. And do you know that he still comes with controversy? Here's chapter 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea. Let me stop there a second. So Galilee is northern Israel, the Sea of Galilee, and the towns that are there, Capernaum and uh, Nazareth, other biblical um, well-known towns. That's in the north. But he didn't want to go about in Judea. That's in the south. That's where the capital of Jerusalem is because the Jewish Leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. So the context is this. Jesus is loving, people are hating. Jesus is healing, and people are plotting his murder. Now, the season of year in which we find this taking place, we'll notice it in just a second that the next verse will tell us, but this is during a festival, a holiday, the Feast of Tabernacles. It's also called the Feast of Booths. The background is this. In the Old Testament book of Exodus, God's people were enslaved by a cruel taskmaster named Pharaoh. When God delivered them, they then, God's people, wandered in the wilderness for an extended period of time as they traveled 
toward the promised land. Meanwhile, they would sleep in tents or these booths. This is Hebrew camping. How many of you like camping? I particularly don't care for it. You're going to see that there are people here that are grumpy. Maybe it's because they're camping. <laughs> the only time that as a family we went camping was shortly after we arrived in Monroe. The girls, our girls were probably eight and ten years old at the time. The four of us made our way up into the Boone area, and the plan was to stay four nights in a campground. By the way, everything we needed for this camping trip was borrowed. So that's how much we didn't do camping. We get to the campground and we set up the borrowed tent and we put in it the borrowed sleeping bags and then we get the borrowed camp stove out and we're ready for this adventure. Well, until later that first night where we quickly learned that at that same campground those same nights was a BMW motorcycle rally that <laughs> came to Boone. I've got nothing against motorcycles. I have a motorcycle. But I've got something against motorcycles coming and going all hours of the night when you're in a tent. So after two fairly sleepless nights, then it decided to rain. We were miserable. We packed up everything, and on that fourth night, we discovered heaven on earth. It was a dry, quiet hotel room. Needless to say, my whole goal, the reason why I get up and go to work every day is so that I don't have to sleep outside in a tent. These people are camping the way it would work. That's what this festival was all about. There would be certain festivals, feasts that uh, almost everyone would have to participate in, especially every able-bodied male. And this particular festival, the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, was at a time when they would remember their ancestors traveling through the wilderness as God was guiding them. But, verse 2, when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, now these would be Jesus' half-brothers. You know, Jesus didn't have an earthly father. Joseph was his adoptive dad. But... That means that Mary and Joseph would later go on to have other children, both boys and girls, after Jesus was born, after they consummated their marriage. The brothers said to him, leave Galilee, go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. Now, what they're actually doing is mocking him a bit. These brothers don't believe in Jesus, so they are just prodding him. They continue, no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. What the brothers are saying is, you keep saying you're God, you keep saying you're doing these supernatural things, try doing them outside of some small rural country place where nobody sees you. Go to the big city of Jerusalem, show yourself. Some of you may have family like that. You tell them your hopes and dreams, and they just kind of mock you, and they're, they're not supportive of you. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. 
Therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here for you. Any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. Jesus says, you go now, go together, I'll see you later. After he said this, he stayed in Galilee, so he still stayed in the north. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. At least that's what we're told right now. We'll see that something will change for that in a second. So he waited till everyone got on their journey They're there. The festival has already started. Jesus is going to come trying to be secret about this because they know he knows that they're plotting his murder. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there were widespread whispering about him. Some said he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. So Let me stop here a minute and give you a few things. Number one, Jesus is opposed to both sinful rebellion and self-righteous religious people. Earlier in John's gospel, Jesus met with, dealt with a woman of Samaria at a well. She had sinful rebellion. She had been with a lot of men in her life, so she was very sexually and and spiritually confused. Jesus calls her to repent of her sinful rebellion, and she did. But in this narrative, Jesus isn't dealing with sinful rebellion. He's dealing with self-righteous religion, people that are judgmental, arrogant, holier than thou. That's bad religion. Bad religion is where God is not really invited into and involved because we really don't need him. We've got our own way of doing things according to our works. That's the religious people. And sometimes what happens in in a church is a fight between sinful rebellion people and self-righteous religious people. You guys are all about sinning and disobeying God, and you don't care about the Bible. Their response would be, you're all self-righteous, judgmental, smug, and unloving. And here Jesus comes, and he invites all people to repent, those of their sinful rebellion, those of their self-righteous religion. And just so you know, we're not inviting anybody into a religion. We're inviting you to be redeemed through faith in Jesus Christ, a relationship with him that makes you holy and makes you humble. So here, these religious people are fighting and arguing with Jesus. The answer to both groups is to be with Jesus, to be for Jesus. Number two, I want to give you some hope for your family. You know, for how many of you, your mom and dad don't, believe in the Lord. Or for you, maybe it's your kids or your grandkids who don't believe in Jesus as Lord. That's a burden, right? All the more so for you if your spouse doesn't know the Lord. That's burdensome. 
And the most important person in your life is Jesus. If you're a Christian and Jesus has helped you with everything and you want everyone in your family to walk with him so that they could experience the blessings and benefits that come as a result of a relationship with him. Jesus' own family doesn't believe in him. So sometimes we say and do things that push family members away. And if that's the case for you, it's incumbent upon you to go and ask for forgiveness. But sometimes it's not that we have failed. They have not been supportive. These are Jesus' brothers. Maybe they thought, oh yeah, he's the perfect one. I can pretty much tell you how things went in that family. If something went wrong in that family, Mary and Joseph could easily conclude, oh, you know, it wasn't Jesus' fault. You'll get that later and you'll think it was awesome. Does this family continue? Do his brothers eventually come to believe in him? Absolutely. After he dies and rises, Jesus, his own mother, Mary, is listed among the members of the early church in Acts chapter 1. Mary worships her son as her savior. Jesus' own brothers worship him as God. Now, to me, that is proof of the truth of the Bible. Look, I'm the youngest of five kids. It would be easier for me to become pregnant than for me to start a religion with one of my siblings. (laughs) Jesus' own brothers go from being devout Jewish worshipers to worshiping their brother as God when at one point they didn't even believe. And two of his brothers go on to write books of the New Testament that bear their names, James and Jude. Furthermore, James is referred to as a pillar of the early church in Galatians 2.9. So these brothers go from disbelieving in Jesus to worshiping Jesus to suffering for Jesus to being murdered for Jesus. So I can't give you a promise for your family, but I can give you hope for your family. And I want you to know that God continues to pursue your family. So please don't ever stop praying for them. Number three, if you are walking a hard path, but you're not alone in that, then you are more blessed than Jesus. Jesus had a lonely path. His brothers were not there for him. Some of you understand that. You are on a lonely path. And so be grateful if your spouse or family or friends are are at least in your corner. But let me say this, for all of us, if you ever think that someone is not walking with you, Jesus is always walking with you. Number four, knowing God's will is only half of it. Knowing God's timing is the other half. Jesus' brothers come to him and they say, go up to Jerusalem. And he's like, you know what? My time has not yet come. He knew what the Father's will was for him. And what was that? That he would go to the cross and die as a substitute in our place for our sins. And that he would rise to conquer death, forgive sins, and give eternal life. He knew exactly what his mission was. But he also knew it wasn't time. Isn't it amazing how much patience Jesus has? He's going to love people, serve people, teach people who aren't 
listening and aren't learning. He's going to die for them so they can be forgiven and changed. And he's willing to continue to undergo more abuse because it's not his appointed time to die for them. Some of the greatest errors, greatest mistakes that people, Christians make is when we know God's will, but we didn't wait for God's timing. And number five, if you stand with Jesus, you can expect to suffer with Jesus. Jesus said in this passage we just read that the world's works are evil. It's not just an alternative. It's an evil. The other side is the kingdom of God. You've got the world, you've got the kingdom of God. So here's Jesus the king bringing the kingdom and he is here to save people in this world which is evil. So you're either with the world or you're with Jesus. And what Jesus says to his brothers is, you're not going to die. You're not going to even suffer because the world isn't against you. You're on their team. How painful that must have been for Jesus to articulate that to his own brothers. And that's why we don't see anyone in this section publicly stand with Jesus because they're afraid to do so. So our faith compels us to call people to turn from their evil, to turn to Jesus, to come away from the world and come toward him. Now in this next section, the conflict continues. Not until halfway through the festival, so the festival is seven days, so maybe three or four days have passed at this point, did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. So there's a bounty on his head. Now he is going to go public. He goes open, he goes public. The Jews there were amazed and asked, now this would be the crowd, this wouldn't be the religious leaders. How did this man get such learning without having been taught? I mean, where did he get this? He didn't go to our schools. He didn't pass our tests. He didn't learn from the approved rabbis. And yet when he speaks, We hear God. Let me say this. The goal is to always stop the teaching of the word of God. Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own, now that simply means that brings a word about God, speaking under God's authority is bringing a word from God. There's a big difference. One is, well, here's what I think. This is my opinion. Where a word from God is, thus saith the Lord. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Jesus asks. Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? Here's what religious people do. They say, I judge you, you don't judge me. And some of you are married to that person. These are judging Jesus and Jesus turns it around and says, And what you refer to is the law of Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament. 
There are 613 laws. There is not a single one of you who adheres and keeps those 613 laws. Now, this is also a warning for teachers, especially those who teach the Bible and things about God. It's why the Bible says not many of you should become teachers because you will be judged more strictly or harshly. It's important that when, that when we teach, we are teaching God's word. At the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, this is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. At the end of all of that that Jesus teaches, it says the people were amazed. They were shocked in that Jesus taught not like one of their leaders. He taught as one who had authority. That when he spoke, it's like, that's God's word. I got to obey that. In the early church, there was criticism leveled against those early church leaders, those disciples. They are uneducated men. How do they know such things? The response comes in Acts 4.13, because they have been with Jesus. Jesus comes to teach, and the religious leaders couldn't stand it. Why? Maybe it's afraid that what Jesus says will resonate in the people's hearts. Here's what I want you to do. Spend more time in God's word. Some of you will read books and books about Jesus. We'll read the book that Jesus wrote about himself. The word of God is living, it's powerful, it's active. God's word goes forth and it accomplishes God's will and it will unleash God's power in your life so that it will change your mind. It will satisfy your longings. It will reveal your shortcomings. And this is a book that you don't just read, it's a book that reads your life. Jesus teaches with ultimate authority and yet they still don't listen. Next section. You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. You know, even non-Christians today would say that's not true. Aren't you glad that Jesus wasn't walking the earth in our age where you can imagine what social media would do to Jesus and Christians and believers? You're demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle. And you are all amazed. What was that miracle? John recorded it for us in chapter 5. There was this guy who for 38 years was an invalid. He couldn't get up and walk. His whole life is shattered. And Jesus approaches him and he asks him a question. Do you want to get well? And, and the guy doesn't even answer the question and Jesus heals him. The religious leaders come to the man who was healed and who healed you? He didn't even know who Jesus was. He couldn't even call him by name until later Jesus found that man. And so he was able to go to back to the authorities and say, okay, it was Jesus. And we are told from that moment forward that the persecution of Jesus started. They're trying to kill the healer. Now, are they trying to kill him because he healed? 
or because of the day of the week that he chose to heal. Just so that you will be reminded, what day did Jesus heal this 38-year invalid? (laughs) The Sabbath. That's why they have a problem. He healed this man on the Sabbath. So let me ask, which is worse, healing on the Sabbath or plotting the murder of one who healed on the Sabbath? Well, back to John 7. Yet because, this is Jesus still speaking, because Moses gave you circumcision, though it actually didn't come from Moses, but from the patriarchs. In other words, it goes all the way back to the time of Abraham. This was the covenant sign given to men by which they are part of the covenant with God. You circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Jesus is like, okay, since we're judging people, let me ask you a question. Remember that in the Old Testament, the boy is to be circumcised on the eighth day, regardless of what day of the week that falls on. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you so angry with me for healing a a man's whole body on the Sabbath? So Jesus says, how come my healing on a Sabbath is a bad thing, but you circumcising a little boy on the Sabbath is a good thing? Here's how it works. Religion takes God's laws and adds to them in ways that even they can't obey. God's law was take a Sabbath day. Jesus elsewhere would say, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. Here's what that means. The Sabbath was not made to rule over you and ruin your life. The Sabbath is a gift from God to enhance and bless your life so that you can enjoy time with Him, enjoy time with the people and provisions that He has given you. They made the Sabbath more important than the people. Now, God did say you should do no work on the Sabbath. God did not say that healing counted as work. So this was their rule, not God's rule. Here's what you need to know. Just because God made some rules doesn't mean you get to make some. And then even worse, add to the ones that God made. And Jesus shows them this folly. He says, you guys circumcise on the Sabbath. I heal on the Sabbath but my work somehow is bad, yours is good, and you're plotting to murder me, that's not really a godly thing, now is it? So a couple of things here. Number one, listening is following. They're not listening to Jesus, so they're not following Jesus. To listen to Jesus is required if you're going to follow him. Elsewhere in John, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they listen to me. Listening is following. And number two, we use words to either connect with someone or control someone. Reminding you again of that conversation Jesus had with a Samaritan woman at the well, John chapter four. He talks with her, she talks with him. The They connect and build on a relationship where her sins are forgiven and she tells others about Jesus. 
her words and his words make a connection. These religious leaders, oh, they exchange words with Jesus, but it's not to make a connection, it's to control Jesus. Sometimes for the men, and I love you, that's why we got to say this for each other. Some of us find that our wives and children see you as domineering, overbearing, high control. You're always right. You're never wrong. And you will manipulate the conversation so that your words are used to control the person and the conversation. Do you use your words to connect with people or control people? If you use them to connect with people, you will have a relationship. If you use your words to control people, you will not have a relationship So question, do these people have a relationship with Jesus, these religious leaders? No. Are they communicating with Jesus? Yes. So how is it that they are communicating but not having a relationship? Because the purpose and point of their communication is to control, not to connect. Final verse. Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Who is the first person that each of you should judge? It's you. These people don't judge themselves. They're judging Jesus and everyone else around them. But if you judge yourself first, I can tell you, if you do that right, if you judge yourself right, you will not have time to judge anyone else. Judge yourself. Here's what it boils down to. How's my heart? And in conclusion, there are four responses. There are those who despise Jesus. They want to murder him. There are those who disown Jesus. Thousands he fed with a little boy's lunch. But when they didn't just get a free meal after free meal, they walked away. And we saw that last week. A third response, some disbelieved in him, and that included his family early on. And then there were some who remained devoted to him. Those are the disciples who walk with him. And they're walking with Jesus by faith because they don't see what's next. They may see him, but they don't see what's next. And I want you to be like them. You may not know what's next, But I want you to know Jesus, trust Jesus, love Jesus, follow Jesus, spend time with Jesus. Open your Bible and hear from Jesus. And when you hear from Jesus, take the next step of obedience to Jesus. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.